So it's just like, okay, let's just have a real talk, real talk, uh, no censorship. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of the Boiling Frogs Post Roundtable from BoilingFrogsPost.com. I am your co-host today, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and of course, the host of the Eye Opener Report that comes out on a weekly basis here on BoilingFrogsPost.com. And I'm joined today by Sibel Edmonds, of course, the founder and editor of BoilingFrogsPost.com, and also Guillermo Jimenez of TracesOfReality.com, who also does the Demanufacturing Consent podcast here on Boiling Frogs Post. And Generally, we're also joined by Peter B. Collins, um, but unfortunately, he, it seems he has not made it to the conversation yet, so hopefully he'll be joining us shortly. But we are going to proceed anyway for the time being. And first off, we'd like to talk, of course, just uh, briefly about the fundraising drive that we have, the quarterly fundraising goal at BoilingFrogsPost.com, where we've been trying to raise $12,000 in order to help um, fund all the podcasts and all of the work that's coming out of BoilingFrogsPost.com, and of course, also, as listeners and viewers of the eye-opener report will know to keep the eye-opener report completely free and open to the public. So, Sabelle, perhaps you can give us an update of where we are on that uh, fundraising drive. Sure. I want to start by telling everyone, all our supporters, uh, a big, a big, a major thank you for all their support. It's been really heartening. It's been really great to see so much support and uh, coming from many, many people, we have had uh, small donations and subscriptions, and that's exactly what we are looking for. We are looking for this publicly funded, uh, publicly sponsored uh, website that brings independent news and analysis and all this multimedia. So I want to thank everyone on behalf of the entire team here at Boiling Frogs Post. Thank you very much. We are almost there. We are $9,500. We have $2,500 left and we have four or five days to go. So I hope that we can reach our goal by this coming Wednesday and, uh, and continue what we are doing. And not only that, we really, really want to expand and what we are doing. I, I, am, uh, I am really itching. I want to have our own investigative reporters to follow and chase and uncover a lot of stories that no one else is daring to touch and do so independently. Thank you very much. And we are counting on you. And we are the uh, irate minority here. But we have a voice all together. Many thanks to all of you. Guillermo, you want to say a few words? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to echo what Sabelle said. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it is heartwarming to see all the support come in. Uh, at the time that I recorded the last uh, the Manufacturing Consent podcast, uh, we were about uh, less than halfway to the goal. And just in the last few days, they've come in and uh, the BFP audience has come through as I knew they would. And this is, uh, yeah, it's fantastic to have this. As Sabelle says, you know, this is the way to do it. A publicly funded, uh, independent media venture uh, the people out there, I think, appreciate it, and it's showing in their support, in the viewership, and in their no donations and subscri uh, subscriptions. Rather, sorry. So, uh, no. It, it again, it was a, it's a, it's a worthwhile uh, cause, and, and people out there again are are realizing uh, the importance of independent media. And so, uh, I want to thank them again uh, completely. I make it a point to thank them uh, in every podcast. So, especially now uh, through this fundraiser, a big, big thank you to all of you who subscribe and donate to BFP. Could not do this without you. It, that's exactly the point. We couldn't do it without you guys. And uh, once again, the eye-opener report is being kept free and open by these these uh, donations and subscriptions. So I personally really would like to thank everyone who has donated to this drive and helped to make this possible. And remember, we're not quite there yet. So we do need <laughs> the last few days. We need that last uh, that last push to get us to the goal. But um, but I thank everyone who has contributed so far. And I just want to echo what Sabelle said. I'm glad that this is coming from a lot of, of small donations yeah. rather than a few big yeah. donations because, of course, we all know how the sugar daddy view of uh, journalism works. Yes. And I don't think that's the, uh, the funding model that, that's, uh, that we want to emulate. So, right. uh, so my th hat's off to all of you guys out there who have helped to chip in and make this possible. And on that note... There will be no eye-opener this week. As <laughs> unfortunately, I'm working behind the scenes diligently on a documentary, and I really have to get it finished this week. So um, uh, the eye-opener report will be resuming again, as usual, next week. So once again, thank you to all your uh, guys out there for your support. Now let's jump into the real meat and potatoes of today's conversation, and I want to discuss um, a topic that I've thought about 
quite a bit over the years and I think is an interesting topic to think about. And I frame it um, with the question, why do people believe stupid things? And people might remember that uh, as a title of a book by Michael Shermer, um, who at the time was writing about uh, people believing in spoon bending and things like that. And why do people believe kooky things like that? And he talked about uh, logical fallacies and the like. But of course, everyone should remember Michael Shermer is the person who wrote uh, an article for Huffington Post saying that, of course, Oswald killed uh, Kennedy by himself because I've been to Dealey Plaza and stood in the spot where Kennedy was. And it's not that far from the book depository, which is, again, a stupid argument to make. Um, could someone be that stupid and make an argument like that or be as supposedly intelligent as someone like Shermer and supposedly as shrewd about logical fallacies and yet make a fallacious argument like that and expect his audience to believe it. It does really beggar the imagination, and it makes one wonder on so many of these different issues, whether it is something like an Oswald JFK, or whether it's uh, the official story of 9-11, or whether it's some of the, uh, the the things that I know you guys cover. For example, Guillermo, you cover the uh, the drug war, um, and uh, the idea that, oh, the CIA, they don't ship in the drugs. Why do people <laughs> believe stupid things like that? Um, why, why do people believe all sorts of silly things about uh, what's happening in, in Turkey, or for example, or or when we talk about false flag terrorism, there are so many different avenues to explore here. And, um, and I think it's important to do this because one of the first things that always happens when um, the mainstream talks about conspiracy theories is they try to get away from the facts as quickly as possible in order to psychologize the conspiracy theorists. Why do they believe these things? Oh, it's because it provides them with this totalizing worldview that makes them feel better about what they believe and makes them feel better about the world. Oh, it's not chaotic. It's all orderly. And therefore, it makes them feel better. They like the idea that, that there's people manipulating these things behind the scenes. Um, when, of course, the reality I would posit is the exact opposite, that it's much more comforting to believe that it was 19 guys with box cutters um, who overpowered the air defenses of the United States that day than the idea that there were elements within the U.S. government that were actually helping to bring that about. Um, that's that's a much scarier um, thing to believe, and I think one that takes more moral courage and, and fortitude to, st to look at that evidence and, and to examine it squarely. Um, that's, of course, uh, an issue that I've been looking at for several years, so it's one that I think of immediately when I think of this topic. But first, let's, let's get your thoughts on um, some of the stupid things that you've noticed that people do believe, whether it's uh, Obama's hope and change or the drug war or whatever it is. What are some of the issues that really that you respond to and that, that gets your, uh, your ire raised when you think about um, how many people just fall into believing some of these ridiculous things? Let's start with Guillermo. What, what are some of the things that you think of when, you, when this topic is raised? Oh, well, you mentioned the one that, that I, I spend the bulk of my attention uh, looking at and covering, which is the, the war on drugs and, and the sort of, uh, but as far as the, the broader question of why people believe stupid things, um, I hate to reduce it to this, but honestly, I, I, I just think that a lot of people out there are just not very bright. Um, for, I mean, if you, if you look at the, you know, averages, uh, the law of averages, most people are just just not that bright. I mean, and I, and I got in a little bit of trouble uh, last time I said this on a show because I was interviewing some some guys from the Joy the Joy Camp crew, and this came up, and I didn't say it as delicately then. But I but it, it's 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 something that you know it's not very popular to express, but it, it happens to be true when we look around ourselves and we look at the you know uh, culture, for example, and the sorts of things that become. Uh, very popular, the sorts of things that grab a lot of people's attention. It tends to be, you know, lowest common denominator, tabloids, uh, celebrity, uh, things that are salacious. And we've talked about this before on the program as well. And and that is what most people like. And so I have to I have to you know reflect on that and say, well, that just that's a reflection on their sort of way of thinking, their mentality. And and I, I guess again, I don't want to reduce it to as simple as that. But I mean, it, that it does play into it. I think a little bit at least. Um, but as far as uh, specific uh, things, um, yeah, I guess I, I would have to go back to what you said about the war on drugs and, and just little, just the, the crazy inconsistencies in the, in the way of thinking about these issues. Um, I talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but I guess I'll, I'll, it bears a little bit of repeating uh, the podcast with Peter Christ, who we're talking about just the idea of prohibition and how um, some people uh, generally considered to be uh, conservatives to throw out the labels that we discussed last time also on the on the round table uh, they generally think that uh, prohibition uh, uh, prohibiting drugs is a good thing and it works it could it can it can work to control 
uh, society can work to limit uh, crime and, and drug crime and gang crime and stuff like that. But when you when you think of uh, uh, gun related crime, they're they're adamantly against uh, gun prohibition because they believe that if you prohibit guns, then only criminals will have guns. But but there is this gigantic disconnect between that idea and the idea of prohibiting. Uh, uh, drugs in general, and so that's and that, again, that just goes to show the the level of stupid that you can, they can't bridge that gap. They can't make that connection and say no. It's simply just the idea of prohibition in either case does not work. It just doesn't. Um, so that's just one quick example that comes uh, to mind right now. Well, for me, it's usually uh, it becomes circular because there is this thing about being intelligent, the raw IQ. So when we say stupid here, we're not talking about, oh, these people have really minimal uh, IQ. So it's not about IQ. Then what is it? Then it gets really close to the notion of being ignorant. So how do you separate being stupid from ignorance, right? So a lot of people who may have extremely high IQs, which I know a lot of people who are like, you know, mental level IQ, but they, are, they can be very, very stupid because of the ignorance. And I say that it becomes uh, circular because then you go and chase and say, well, why are they ignorant? Because, again, many of these people, if you look at their background, they have gone to college and university. They have gotten their degrees. You know, a lot of them, they have good jobs, but they are still very, very ignorant. And considering the fact that today it's so easy to go reach and grab knowledge, to research, to find out about things, whether it's about Turkey or what's happening in Ukraine, or as you just mentioned, the Kennedy assassination, 9-11, these resources for free, is, you know, they are all around us. And yet these people, they still remain ignorant. Is it because they're so stupid that they don't go and grab these and they are ignorant, which makes them more stupid. So it becomes this circular kind of an argument for me, trying to pinpoint and say how much of it is that and how much of it is actually intentional ignorance because life becomes difficult and there are difficult questions that ends up begging answers. And people frequently, they don't want to be in that position. Uh, I see that even with people with their associations with me. You know, I my my daughter attends a play school during the week, and I go there, and the mothers are standing in the corner. They're there to pick up their children, and they they associate with each other, but they're afraid to talk with me. You know, and even if some topics comes, for example, I start kind of trying to measure the reactions on this common core issue with education. You know, because Oregon just passed a law. And now it's going to be, and it is being implemented in the schools. They haven't done any research. They haven't, I mean, I have been for the last two months, I have been spending hours every day researching ins and outs of Common Core. So either they don't know anything about it. And when I ask questions or I give them, actually, I'm taking with me <laughs> some printed research material, they get very uncomfortable. It's like, oh, no, because if I know about it, I have to think about it, and if I think about it and I see some horrible things that can happen to my child, then I have to do something about it. I don't want to be in that position, so i rather not know. i rather not to associate with people like Sabelle because they force critical thinking, and they are, <laughs> they, are, they are basically making me face these issues. So this is, I'm in my face, I'm in my safe zone, and what I told you the other day via email, James, is... People, they like to carve out these little boxes, get inside, squeeze themselves, and they want to live inside that box. It's that golden retriever and a little fence and the two kids back to back <laughs> and their 401k and their golf, maybe, maybe not. And then their, what they would do when they are 65 and they retired. Maybe they, they want to live inside these little, little boxes that they themselves have carved out. And that drives me crazy. I usually refer to it as this mediocrity. Okay. And, and that may come across as something arrogant, you know, oh, I am so good. And here are these vulgar, mediocre people. I'm elite. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people actually intentionally putting themselves in this mediocre, tiny little box. And this little short life that we have, spend it wanting to be in the safety zones, no critical thinking, 
And how much of that is the stupidity or how much of it is, is the intentional choice to be ignorant and stupid? And that's how I see it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree with that analysis uh, very much so. That resonates with me because, again, the issue of stupidity and, and lack of intelligence, it's, I, I think we can all identify that. But the question, I think, really is where does that come from? And I don't like to blame the victims for their victimization. I think to a certain sense, to a certain extent, we have been crippled by the crippled epistemology of this this education system that we um, that we all experience as children, or the vast majority of us experience as children, which really drums out of us the natural curiosity that I think everyone really does have. I don't know that many people who aren't aren't actually innately curious about the world. And now, of course, experiencing that with my own 10-month-old son, I know he's exceptionally <laughs> curious about everything that he can get his hands on. And uh, and again, that's just not in the human nature. How does that get drummed out of us to the point where people will literally run away from information? And the uh, I think the iconic image um, when that comes to in in that framework is uh, the, the, the scene from They Live where he's trying to fight the guy to put on the glasses, um, if you've ever seen that. <laughs> movie and the yeah, guy's fighting yeah. against it they literally fight to resist the idea right, that they right. they just don't want to see things because if they see it they have to do something about it so i think i don't like to blame the p victims for their victimization but if there is anywhere we can lay people blame on people for being ignorant it is i think in the moral cowardice i.e they just don't want to live up to the actual moral obligations that come with knowledge and then um, uh, there's a second part of that that I just forgot as I was speaking. But <laughs> there's, there's moral cowardice and laziness. Laziness would be the right. other. I mean, I, I'm sure there is a significant degree of that. But I think it's the moral cowardice that concerns me more. Because, again, um, the idea that people would resist learning about foundational events of the, the, the era that we're living through, like 9-11, because they are scared of the consequences of that knowledge, to me, yeah. is... It's sickening. To, to my core, it is sickening because that is exactly, precisely how we can be and are ruled over by a relatively small oligarchy because they count on people being just too much, too cowardly to actually to, to face this information and to do something about it. Because again, once you know it, you have to do something about it. Indeed. No, I think both of you raise really, really important points. Uh, the idea of this being... Uh, in a way systemic. It's institutionalized uh, within the education system is a, is a really good uh, example of that. Uh, broadly speaking, uh, just the, the economics at play that, as you mentioned, Sabelle, uh, most people have to worry about what am I going to do today for my, as far as my job goes, uh, putting food on the table, making sure there's a roof over my head, caring for my family, looking, looking forward to retirement. And, you know, that's about that's about it. That's, you know, don't bother me outside of that box. And to, 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 to that extent, it's really I mean, again, like you, James, it's not I'm not wanna, I don't want to blame someone like that for caring about those things. Obviously, those things are important to, to every single one of us to, to care for ourselves and for our families, for sure. Uh, but there is room. Uh, uh, clearly, there is room to to also to do that <laughs> and also care about these important issues because they, they, they affect you regardless of whether or not you want them to. Regardless of how much you want to trap yourself in that box, as you said, Sabelle, or shut your eyes to it. Another good movie reference, I think, would also be The Matrix, of course, where the, the character of Cypher wants to go back into The Matrix and not see the world for what it is. Because that, that is, I, I think, as you said earlier, James, that is much more psychologically satisfying to not be bothered with those realities and to not have to deal with that. Um, I know lots of people in my own personal life who I experienced throughout, you know, since I was uh, uh, in college, coming across people, talking to them, engaging with them about issues. 9-11 was a big one. Uh, and I remember that at the time, you know, I had literally friends of mine tell me, I just don't want to hear it. I mean, I, I look, I, there's probably something to it. You probably have something, you know, that, that you want, you know, that's important there. But, you know, I just I'd rather just not hear about it. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. I got my own problems. You know what I mean? I don't have to, I don't want to deal with that on top of what I got to deal with in my daily life. So that has a lot to do with it. So I have to wonder, um, again, if we look at this broadly, to what extent there is some level of intentionality there as far as how e the economics of this are structured such that it is very difficult for ordinary people to care about these issues and care about the big stuff and look at the big picture because it's just so bogged down by the economics, by the consumer culture, by materialism, by you know the Hollywoodization as we talked about yesterday. Uh, just so many different factors at work here at, and at play. So, 
wow, I don't know where else to go with that. But well, I mean, well, is, I, I have, yeah. I have actually. Maybe the better question would be, how come then oddball people like us pop up? <laughs> what is the recipe that creates this irate minority? Mm -hmm. And that's us and all our uh, viewers and our supporters here, because. You know, you know, people usually get into this whole two notions of nature or nurture. And I'm looking just, let's say, at myself. You know, I had a father who was a super oddball. <laughs> he was an <laughs> activist. He was tortured. He was an adventurer. He was very um, active with many, many different things. He has taken, he had taken a lot of risks. And my mother, which was the opposite, my mother was exactly, and it still is, one of those people who want to have that narrow box. And in fact, she's one of those people who likes to teach her children, look down, because even if you make eye contact, it's like daring, trouble, and, and don't ever swim against the current, et cetera, et cetera. So I had the two opposite, and we were three sisters. I'm the oldest one. We went through the exact same education. Okay, we are coming through the same set of genes. <laughs> we had the same exact, you know, father and mother. And, you know, with my two sisters, you know, they're fine, they're very successful, but they are totally uh, in line with my mother's way of thinking of small box. My middle sister is working, has been working for a bank, you know, the investment portion of it. And she, if you were to ask her right now, what, who's the vice president? She wouldn't know. You know, she does read Kardashian and uh, she is into the, you know, the brand names. You know, I don't even know the names. There's some bag. I forgot. Oh, Louis Vuitton, it, you know, things like that. And my youngest sister, she's intellectual, but not into the political stuff. You know, again, but how come three of us were exposed to the same institutions, education system? We all went through this turmoil of living in Iran, Azerbaijan, anarchy, seeing all those things. The same father who was a great example in terms of, my God, you dare things. And you always have courage. And the same mother who's the exact opposite. And, and, and then turn out so differently. Then what is that ingredients? Because I really can't point to nurture or nature same background, same institutions, what made the difference? And I can't figure it out. What is it that makes distinguish those people who stand up and they do break outside those little boxes, the little tiny little boxes, and those majority who don't? So maybe we should ask uh, James, the why some people are like us, odd. <laughs> <laughs> the minority, right. you know, the weird ones, you right. know, the no, oddballs, <laughs> the black sheep. Uh, to a certain right. extent, doesn't this come down to the ineffableness of personality? I mean, just there are people who are born with different personalities, and perhaps that plays into this. So if I were to psychologize myself, I would say that I have always been a person who has always attempted to question what authority figures are telling me. Um, from the time I can remember when I was in fourth grade, I was eight or nine years old or whatever, and I remember in science class once, the, the teacher uh, decided to take a test. Like, it was some something along the lines of, uh, this object, do you think it would uh, float in water or sink in water, or something like that, or I can't remember what the, the thing was. And so they took a vote, and, you know, who thinks it'll float, who thinks it'll sink, or whatever. And then afterwards, after we learned the correct answer, and I had had the correct answer in that vote, Afterwards, I decided, well, actually, I want to change my vote because, and then I started to reason the other way around. Even though I knew at that point it was wrong, I just wanted to know, well, why isn't it this way? Um, and I've always been like that. I've always wanted to, to test the other side of the, the argument and test the other side of the equation. So I think maybe that's part just of my, my inborn nature. I don't know if I can pin that to environment or to, to nurture or anything like that. Um, but then that presents the other question, which which I think is the more important one, is how do we get people to, if not completely fundamentally change their nature, but I guess to at least uh, to begin the transformation, to at least begin testing the boundaries that they've placed for themselves. And I think you're right. I mean, so many of our boundaries are self-imposed, including all of our intellectual and, and sort of the boundaries of where we will go in terms of looking at uh, alternative discourses. And uh, how do you get people to start questioning that? And, and I don't want to put myself on a pedestal here. Of course, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm someone who came from, for example, um, just a, seven or eight years ago, complete ignorance about 
the real facts of 9-11, totally read the 9-11 Commission report and thought, oh, that sounds about right. Um, I didn't even I didn't even begin questioning this till about 2006, which is just ridiculous. Why did I believe that for so long? And uh, and then why did I start questioning it? And I, I don't know if I have a clear or good answer to that. It's just that at a certain point, I started to look into it for myself rather than listen to what I was being told. And as soon as I started to do that, I started to encounter all the information that went counter to the narrative. And I thought, oh, I've been lied to all this time. Um, so I guess the question is, how do we get people to begin doing it for themselves? Because we can talk to people about facts till we're blue in the face, but it will not penetrate if they do not want it to penetrate. And uh, I think we have to make people desire the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is a, a, an innate desire to knowledge, as you said earlier, but, but there are people who do resist certain types of information that will challenge their way of thinking and their fundamental sort of framework or worldview or what have you. Um, it's interesting, though, through hearing you both talk about your, your, your own personal lives and how you've sort of moments in your lives where you can tr- sort of trace back and how, you know, you s- sort of came to your way of thinking now. And it's if I do that, I can do that myself. And, and, and I, I, I think that uh, that, it, that is the sort of the, the big question as far as what what drives our personalities, how we arrive at this point, nature versus nurture and all that stuff. And and it's hard to say for me also, because I can remember, yeah, as well as a young child, uh, being uh, naturally rebellious, uh, getting in trouble in school, uh, being uh, in high school. Uh, I've relayed the story a couple of times on the podcast, but uh, just uh, you know, the, the, there was a couple of instances. I remember in my in my world geography class uh, in, in high school where one day I decided that I was not going to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. I just wasn't going to do it. I just thought, you know, and it wasn't even political. I was not really uh, politically minded yet at that time, really. Uh, it was just more so uh, a question of authority, wondering, well, why should I? Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. Well, that's not good enough for me. I would, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm just not going to do that. Then. If, you, if you can't give me a good reason, then I'm just not going to do it. And that, you know, that prompted a quick visit to the principal's office and several subsequent visits as well. But <laughs> um, so there's little things like that that I can that I can reflect on as a, as a young as a young lad. But um, as far as getting people out there to sort of break out of their shell, so to speak, or, or, to, or to look at the information that we're looking at. Um, and we, we touched on this a little bit uh, on one of our previous roundtables. Because as we said earlier, I think most people are drawn to things that are, you know, entertaining, that, that make them smile and laugh and not just, you know, think about these sorts of things. So, I mean, beyond that, I, I, I'm having trouble trying to think of a way that the general public can, can come to accept or at least consider some of these bigger ideas and issues. I think it has to be presented in a way that's accessible to them. I really think that that's key. Uh, is 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 becoming better at communicating the message, not not dumbing it down, not going low, lowest common denominator, but just right, but becoming when, better. When you say that, so so that yeah. brings up the, the the problem that we're dealing with, though, because everyone does come at this for, with their own personality, with their own experiences, with their own sensibilities, with their own boundaries, with their own ideas of where where that line is and how far the, across they're willing to go, and etc. So, to my mind, this cannot come down to a one size fits all package. We cannot just become better communicators in some general sense and everything will be better. And I think I get so much frustration from a lot of people who contact me through the the website who are saying, well, how do I, how do I reach my my friends or or my family? They don't talk to me anymore because all I talk about is this and they don't want to talk about it or something like that. And I don't have an answer to that because I don't think there is I, there's nothing that I can say that will, you know, oh, if you just say this, the magic words. I don't think there's a way to put this because everyone comes at it differently. I, yeah. the, the approach that I take is that I don't invest my everything in my relationships with other human beings. I don't invest everything in, okay, you have to believe this 9-11 truth yeah. or I won't associate with you or whatever it is. Um, I, I the, the approach I take is I have definitely my my uh, my ideas i have my facts i have my the things that i i believe about this and if you want to discuss this we'll discuss it and uh, frankly and openly but i don't i don't push it i don't try to proselytize it and i think that people 
I, everyone has to put it in their own way. And uh, for me, I, I just couldn't possibly put it in any other way than, than the expression of who I am and the way I put things. So I, I tend to be very intellectual and rigorous and logical, and that's just my boring, dry nature. And I know there's a lot of people out there that don't respond to it. There are other people who do respond to it. Great. The people who respond to it will be receptive. The ones who aren't, I can't be responsible for that. So I don't think it has to come down to our style of communication we don't have to question that fundamentally. I think we just have to be true to our style of communication yeah. and try to put that as honestly and forthrightly as possible. And at the end of the day, then it becomes the responsibility of the people who will or won't listen to the information, who will or won't check into the information for themselves, which comes back to that fundamental psychology. What is the psychology that makes people want to or not want to fundamentally make that, 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 that move to question? And I wanted to talk about the fact that this is exactly the reason we picked this line of communication and we are doing what we are doing with Boiling Frog's Post, with Corbett Report, with Traces of Reality, with this show. Because, you know, outside in my in my personal life, I'm more like uh, James. In fact, I'm one of those people who end up not associating with almost anyone because I'm not a very social person for some reason I come across as someone who's aggressive and social it's the opposite in my personal life I I feel comfortable being alone and the only reason I socialize very little is because of my daughter taking her to park going you know to the play school and trying to get her socialized which in a way sounds like hypocrisy but that is the opposite of those people who have started mass movements you know because if you look at even throughout the history with religion, what do those people have in common? I mean, I, I have seen them, those types of people. I mean, they, they, they are like magnets. They, they know how to talk. Like They almost hypnotize you. And they are able to bring this congregation to follow them, and they expand. For me, that's always been something mysterious, you know. On, on you know, one hand, you have the politicians who are doing that. Then you have always had the religious cult, and I'm talking about the mass religion too, everywhere in the world. The, like Fethullah Gulen that I talk about and I write about, that was his knack. And, and, and his secret was to get all these followings who really are looking into the things that he wants them to look at and do things and take actions. His key was always to get them close with this very pseudo-kindness, and do good things to people, let them like you, okay? Then you hook them. And once you hook them with that kind of a kindness kind of a thing, bring them around even as if they think they themselves by choice are doing it, even though somebody else is bringing them around. And this is, I believe, what you were, you were just talking about. We are not here trying to do that. And that is this mass movements when we are changing minds into our way of thinking, which I believe even among ourselves, we have our own variations and differences. We are just putting forth these different notions, different things that people need to look at from their own angles, from, from their, through their own lenses, and then engage in critical thinking. Now they may arrive at a conclusion that is completely the opposite of you or I or Yermo things, but at least they have thought and they have come up with. And if that's the case, then again, the question becomes, all right, so that, that does that summarize our, our objective? And that is to present people all these different issues that are really important macro issues, significant things, put before them various angles and various views and facts, and at least get them to hear, to understand as much as they can, as much as they want, to process from through their own lenses and and to think. And I think if we have accomplished or if we accomplish that or, or half of it, I believe that's a very significant um, thing to do. And, we, and there is no agenda because when you're looking at these big movements, there's always like an end goal agenda there. They are moving towards from A, these, they want to move people to point B. That point B is usually what those leaders, those cult heads, the better religion, that is what their goal is. So it is all this, I give them, because I want to get you to point B, but that point B is that person or that power or that corporate mindset or, or the shadow government. It is their point B. 
And a lot of people, they move towards that point B. They consider themselves activists, which is not actually their own point B. It's the point B, the end destination determined for them by the powers. That's a really no. That's a really good point. The, the, the sort of the the cult aspect of this, and and you know the idea. And there's plenty of of cult of personalities within media. There's too many of them, in fact. And so, uh, what I was what I was saying earlier about uh, uh, maybe uh, you know trying to reach more people in different ways. I, I'm not suggesting that anyone should change their sort of approach in any way, especially not this, because as part of the reason, part of the appeal, I think, to me personally. Uh, before even becoming part of Bowling Frogs Post, was just as an observer, was the fact that it, it, it did not do the sort of things that you saw other people doing. Uh, for example, uh, your way of, of presenting things, James, and, and, and as you said, is a, in, a, in a logical, rational, without the sensationalism, without the sort of, uh, you know, doing all those sorts of things, uh, I, th I think that's really, really important. And I think that that in itself uh, does speak to people and says, look, just present them with the with the information, present them with that with the sort of uh, different way of looking at something, and and again you really you can't be responsible. As you said earlier, James, for 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 uh, reaching everyone. If 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 you present someone with uh, the information, they choose not to look at it or choose for whatever reason to ignore it. That's on them. And uh, something else that reminded me of it, kind of a funny aside, but I was watching, I was rewatching a couple of documentaries yesterday on, on Bill Hicks, and so it was the, the anniversary of his death. It was, it was Bill Hicks Day, and I was a huge fan, huge influence in my in my own life. And uh, he was doing an interview, and they were asking him. Uh, the question from the reporter was, "Why can't you do uh, something that appeals to everyone?" And he's he's like, "Appeals to everyone? What a challenge! I will please all people. You know, who's no, it's never been done in the history of the world. Uh, how are you going to appeal to everyone? You can't, yeah. obviously. And so that that's I think that's important to keep in mind. And, and that you're never going to reach everyone. And in fact, you don't need to. That that as we talked about this last time, it is the irate minority after all. And and that's uh, uh, you know that that in itself is something that we can uh, uh, look uh, look at and, and focus on is, is 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 looking at people that are already." Uh, sort of uh, willing to question it. They don't have to think exactly as 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 James, Sabelle, or I do. As you mentioned, Sabelle, each one of us has our, our, our different opinions, and that's a, that's a really really good thing. Uh, and, and that's and I think that that's important to to point out that we can differ, and yet we can we can also agree on on very you know important fundamental issues. So. Well, I think there was one other aspect to this that uh, that we might be missing out on, which I. I think I alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, another potential answer, why do people believe stupid things? Um, <laughs> they're lying. Um, look mm. at a Michael Shermer. Um, does he really believe when he <laughs> puts forward his argument that Oswald killed Kennedy acting alone because he stood in the spot where Kennedy was when he got assassinated and it's really close to the book depository. Therefore, it must have been Oswald acting alone. Uh, it's a complete non sequitur. It doesn't make any sense. It's logically fallacious. It's it's a non-argument. And Shermer is smart enough to know that. He is lying to his audience um, and expecting them to believe it. So I think there is an awful lot of just flat-out lying that goes on, certainly oh. among the myth-makers and narrative formers um, out there trying to get people to believe it. And to a certain extent, maybe that's that cult of personality or at least people's credulity. Um, again, people want to believe authority because, again, that makes it a lot easier for them. So uh, if an authority figure comes along with a convincing enough lie, no matter how yeah. stupid it is, no matter if you scratch the surface of that lie, all of the uh, the veneer of, of lie sh sheeny lineness will <laughs> drop away from it and the disgusting cockroach reality underneath will, will present itself. But people just love that veneer. that It just looks so glossy and so nice um, that they just don't want to scratch at it. So um, I think the other aspect of this is there are people who just flat out lie 100% and, uh, and expect others to believe it. And sadly enough, a lot of people will. Well, I'm going to do it. I know we said we're not going to talk about all the snow and Greenwald <laughs> things, but you just pushed it. You okay? kind of have so, to. You kind of have to. Yeah. James, <laughs> but that is another good example of what you just said. You know, you had this person, this reporter or commentator, Greenwald, who said, talked about how bad it was, these people who worked for big, nasty corporate media, and, and therefore they were influenced by the government and the corporations, etc., and with the latest uh, exposés, now he's talking and saying, well, it doesn't matter. First of all, that those are the only options. There are no other options. That's a lie. What are we doing here? How about hundreds of other uh, 
decently, you know, uh, fairly successful places have been doing on the web, on the internet. Before, so that's before you get into that, we should tell people what this is, because some people okay, might not have okay, seen the latest ahead. development. You do the intro, because then I'm going to say a few, really few words on that, because that is the perfect uh, current example. Therefore, it's justified. I know we said we were not going to talk about it, but... Okay. What, but just to get everyone on board, um, in case they haven't been watching the developments, as I'm sure you'll know if you've been watching Boiling Frogs and the eye opener, um, of course, Glenn Greenwald, Jeremy Scahill, Laura Poitras are heading something called The Intercept, which is a branch of First Look Media, which is the uh, news organization that's been founded and, and funded by billionaire uh, investor uh, Pierre Omidyar who also runs the Omidyar Network. And he uh, is he is a billionaire who has invested $250 million, so far has put actually $50 million into First Look Media. And they have uh, this is the organization that's going to be publishing the Snowden leaks from here on in um, from the, the Greenwald Poitras ca cash. Now, the interesting latest development is that uh, Pando Daily has just put together a report showing that, yes, in fact, Pierre Omidyar is co-invested with the U.S. government in the very pro-democracy groups that are behind the coup in Ukraine right now, which is a pretty significant thing and uh, something that you would expect with this fearless adversarial <laughs> journalism and the no holds barred, there's no limits on what we'll report, First Look Media. You would expect someone from First Look Media would have something to say about it. In fact, someone who is associated with First Look, um, Marcy Wheeler, um, came out and said, oh, I think there's something behind this Ukraine coup. I think that there's something going on here. And and when it turned out, oh, it's actually Omidyar, your your sugar daddy. Oh, oh no, I didn't say coup. Did I say coup? No, 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 no. It's all above board. It's all legitimate. It's all democratic. Um, so now they're scrambling to get away from it. Greenwald just posted a big long essay saying why it doesn't matter. I don't care what Omidyar does. I've I've never looked into his politics. I'm completely ignorant of them, and I don't care. And it doesn't matter what he. It he's doesn't funded. matter at all. And the fact that if your boss, the one who gives you the money the one who emails several times who is more powerful than even their chief editor because Jeremy Scahill was quoted there that Omidyar is the hands-on owner. He's not one of those guys who threw the money and said, you guys go be independent. And uh, it's the same person who actually for several years were, you know, was pointing finger at all these reporters saying they're working for this corporate media. They have government ties government or possible government ties now is working because the dollars are there for a man who actually is partnered with government. Number one, he's partnered with NSA, with his PayPal corporations, okay? And we already reported on that. And Greenwald already confirmed this saying, so what? Yes, no surprise there. Of course, NSA and, and PayPal, they work together and they have arrangements. Number two, this comes out that the PayPal's billionaire that owns Greenwald and the rest of them is has put already $300 million to bring about revolution regime change that U.S. has determined in partnership with the USAID together with another billionaire, George Soros. And the same Greenwald comes out and says, well, his background and his partnership with the government and do regime change how many billionaires or big media can you find out when you don't have owners like that? So that exactly is uh, the, the same example as you just provided. But you still have these people, despite all these exposés that have been coming out back to back, they are not willing to admit that they have been following someone who has putting forth not who he is with all the lies and glossy stuff. And in some cases, I think that's the ultimate stupidity is not wanting to admit you were wrong. I don't know why so many people have problem with that. I have done it so often. I have made some really stupid decisions in my life in the past. I have believed in stupid things. And then when I realize that I come out and I say, you know what? That was really stupid. I give you a quick example. In 2003, 2004, it took me a couple of years to realize that these NGOs in Washington, D.C. that were pro-whistleblowers, whistleblower organizations, I ended up being tool for them. Oh, we go rally the Congress. This is how we go about these things. Then I, after a couple of years, I found out that, okay, George Soros and billionaires like Omidyar is funding them. They're agenda-driven. Absolutely, their agenda is not the same as the uh, good things for whistleblowers and for the transparency for the nation. But for two years, I actually 
went with them to Congress. I, I vouched for them. You know, I said, kudos to these people who are standing up for whistleblowers. That was stupid. Okay. And I was naive. I was stupid. I was taken for a ride. I saw that my eyes open and I admit that I was, you change. There is nothing that is being smart. And, and for people who don't want to, what they call it, like, you know, what is the uh, English expression? They're going to end up with egg in their face or they're going to eat crow. I guess those are the idioms that are used in English language. They just don't want to be in that position. And this is why I was warning all those whistleblowers who put their good reputation, like Thomas Drake, you know, uh, coming and defending and putting their names there. I'm like, watch out. They're going to go down because these people are slick. They're not who they appear to be. You're going to go down with them. And now they are in this position that if they admit, they're gonna, they have already come out there, done publicity for these people. And that is a height of stupidity now that we are talking about the stupidity. I think that was totally related, James. <laughs> that's why, <laughs> that's bringing up the Greenwald Snowden Omidyar example again. You, Yermo. <laughs> no, I completely agree with that point, especially the point about, uh, I, I raised this issue on a, on a previous podcast as well. And then I, sort of put out there that I felt eventually uh, people who went on board with First Look Media would in time regret their decision to do that because a, a perfect example, I'll give you, I'm a, maybe a little biased here, but I, I like Marcy Wheeler. I've always enjoyed her analysis. I've had her on my show a couple of times. She's always been really, really you know, good and spot on. And, and exactly. And so when I saw that she joined First Look, I was initially, I was surprised and, 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 and frankly disappointed because Again, I feel like in time, more and more of this stuff will come out, and they're going to regret that decision. And I think, James, I mean, you you summed this up, I think, really well with that, uh, can we call it a meme, or it's a quote by Upton Sinclair that's on your Twitter feed right now. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his job depends on not understanding it. <laughs> and that, that explains uh, perfectly, as you pointed out, the response by, by Greenwald on The Intercept. It's just like... Really, I mean, I, when I, as I was reading it, it's 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 it does it. I mean, it's 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 basically to sum it up. It was like you said. It's I don't know. Look, I don't know what Pierre Omidyar does, and frankly, I don't care. That's that's basically the response. Is don't know, don't care, not important. When in fact, it is. It, it's it is and inherently, it, and and the fact that continues to ignore that fact, to deflect that. It just looks more and more suspicious every time. I don't know why they simply, well, I guess I do know why, but why can't they just simply acknowledge the inherent conflict of interest that is there, uh, uh, you know, address it and, and you know, because the other thing about, okay, he says things like, judge me on my journalism, judge me on the things that I do, judge me on, the, okay, all well and good, fine, but you cannot ignore this. It's it's just simply too huge, especially when something but like this. But you know, what is it like? It is, isn't it exactly identical to all the politicians who have become presidents and prime minister? I mean, it's exactly the same thing. You know, when it comes out that this funding or their scandals, oh, it's not really important. That's Everybody not the message. Does it. Let's not look back. Let's go forward. Let's look at the future. <laughs> that is all the way behind me. Well, you get the same thing. But those guys, those politicians, they, they, they fool the people. You know, it's like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's like fool me three times, shame on me. Fool me four times, shame on me. <laughs> and it keeps going on with these politicians. So if, if it has worked with all these politicians, maybe, maybe it's going to work in their case as well. Because maybe people don't care. I don't know. And then it comes back to our topic, why people can be so stupid willingly. And, and, and that is our topic. And they can see all these things back to back since November I've been writing. And every few weeks, some of these exposés on these lies, contradictions, conflict of interest, shady deals, all these stuffs are coming out and they're still standing there like zombie. Doesn't matter. Uh, this person says it doesn't matter and I want to believe this person. Mm. I want to be stupid and I insist on being stupid and don't you dare coming me challenging on my desire to be stupid because that's a right. Wanting to be stupid is a right and do not come and <laughs> challenge my right to be stupid, okay? That, that's, that's the attitude. 
Unfortunately so. All right. Well, I think we maybe have exhausted the boundaries of this conversation at this point. But if there's anything else either of you would like to add, speak now or forever hold your peace or my son might get involved in here. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, you know, I, I, I could go on a little bit more on the on the Greenwald Pando stuff, but I, I won't for now. because we'll, we'll be here for another hour on this probably so uh we'll leave it there on that as far as that goes but no again i guess in closing uh you know again uh, important issues i hope people appreciate that and i hope again uh just to reiterate what we what we opened with i hope that people out there uh will continue to support independent journalism not the way it's being redefined by billionaires <laughs> the way it it's always been defined independent doesn't mean you have editorial control it's it's always meant who is signing your checks who is funding you that's what independent means and thankfully there are independent outlets still available bfp is one of them i hope the people out there will appreciate that and continue in their support exactly you echoed exactly what i was thinking yermo and and that is that some people really got upset with us for covering this whole Greenwald stuff. Some people, I said, oh, I'm going to unsubscribe. Some people sent some really nasty emails. But throughout the time, you know, as the time passes, the future comes in. In the end, we got to come across as people who stuck by the truth, no matter how unpopular it was. That has been our motto at Boiling Frog's Post. It is not the desire for popularity because, believe me, if that was the that were the end goal, the objective, my goodness, I would have come up with so many topics to make us so popular. We would have like 150,000 hits today. <laughs> that is not the desire. We want to stick by the truth, look at the stuff critically, criticize the stuff, and truth is never popular when it's really timely. It never is, whether it's 9-11, any, any kind of thing, if you look at throughout the history. So because of that, we are proving every day that we are not after popularity, but we are going on records. We are presenting it, and we are sticking by the truth. And you're those of you who are sticking by our side with us, and you're supporting us. We just again, I want to thank you on behalf of all our people, and uh, and and still our number is increasing slowly. But one of the things that James brought up, you know, with people who want to remain stupid because wanting to stay stupid and stupidity by choice is a right and that is the fact that we have people and I receive emails from them James and they say I watch this show by James or I listen to Yermo or I read this article it made me stop up until this point I was this but now I started paying attention oh man that makes everything so worthwhile I mean when I read those notes and emails I don't know if there is anything above that as far as Boiling Frog's post is concerned. When, when we get those notes from you saying, I was never even paying attention. It was not in my radar. Thank you for bringing it into my attention. Not for changing my mind or anything, but thank you because I was not aware of it. Thank you for presenting this. And we want to thank those of you who resist the stupidity, even though you know that you have a right to it. <laughs> thank you all. <laughs> Excellent. Well, on that note of resist the stupidity, we will wrap up today's conversation. Once again, Sibel Edmonds, BoilingFrogsPost.com, Guillermo Jimenez, TracesOfReality.com, and unfortunately, Peter B. Collins was not able to join us today, but hopefully he'll be back for the next roundtable, and I'm sure we'll have another interesting discussion lined up for you next time. So, until that time, that's uh, I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com and the Boiling Frogs Post eye-opener, thanking you for joining us for this edition of the Boiling Frogs Post roundtable. Bye-bye.